If uh, you packed a Bible this morning or you have your electronic device, the text that John wanted me to preach on is from Philippians 4. He wants to continue this series in being a disciple and wanted uh, that text to be the text for us today. Not a problem. Very familiar with this text. You're probably very familiar with it. We're going to read it in a moment. So if you have an electronic device or a Bible with you this morning, be awesome if you'd follow. Just four verses is what we're going to look at this morning as we look at this whole issue as a disciple and the issue about attitude, the issue of worry, and how that affects our growth and maturity in Christ. Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So this is a unique opportunity today, and I, before we dive into the text, I wanted to read you one of my favorite little stories about opportunity. It's kind of a humorous little story, but... You know, as Christians, God gives us all kinds of opportunities that we never know. Yesterday, I didn't know I'd be here doing this this morning. So you just uh, are able to do what God calls you to do. And uh, this is a neat little story to start us off today. Seeing a young soldier and his commanding officer got on a train together. The uh, only available seats were across from a very attractive young woman who was traveling with her grandmother, And they engaged in pleasant conversation. The soldier and the young woman kept eyeing one another. The attraction was obviously mutual. Suddenly the train went into a tunnel and the car became pitch black. Immediately two sounds were heard. The smack of a kiss and the whack of a slap across the face. The grandmother thought, I can't believe he kissed my granddaughter, but I'm so glad he gave him the slap he deserved. The commanding officer thought, I don't blame the boy for kissing that girl. It's such a shame she missed his face and hit me instead. (laughs) The young girl thought, I'm glad he kissed me, but I wish my grandmother hadn't slapped him for doing it. (laughs) And as the train broke into the sunlight, the soldier could not wipe the smile off his face. He had just seized the opportunity to kiss a pretty girl, slap his commanding officer, and got away with both. (laughs) One of my favorite little stories about opportunity. (laughs) Today, we're going to look at one of the subjects that all of us are faced with, and that is the issue of worry. The mind seems to do that. Now, I have people tell me I I don't have a problem with worry. I guess I have a little hard time believing that, but uh, that's their testimonial of it. But the issue here begins with his injunction, do not be anxious for anything. Don't worry about anything. And that's a very difficult thing to do. When Paul wrote this, he was writing to these people at Philippi, and he was in prison. And these people were going through a great deal of difficulty. They were facing obvious persecution in their life. 
they were facing all kinds of issues. Uh, false teachers would come in after Paul and bring all kinds of confusion, teach something different than grace and faith, uh, teaching all kinds of legalistic things, and that created all kinds of problems. Paul could not be with them. Now, many of these people, because of their testimony in Christ, had been uh, kicked out of their family, lost their job, lost their income, and they were under the uh, custody of the local church to help them. The Roman government was opposed to Christianity and made it very difficult for them. And uh, if they spoke up for Christ, they even faced the possibility of dying for Christ. And so they were faced with this issue of concern and certainly would produce a great deal of anxiety with all these things coming along. And so Paul addressed an issue that was very real to them. There was a pastor who was flying one day in an aircraft and the storms were pretty bad and the, the plane was lifting back and forth and dropping and he was very worried. Everybody on the plane was worried and concerned. It looked like uh, maybe a crash landing and he was concerned about it. He said even as a pastor he was concerned about it but he, he noticed across from him there was a little girl and that little girl was totally at peace. She didn't have any worries in the world. He couldn't quite figure that out because everybody on the airplane was extremely concerned. And finally, he turned to the little girl and said, why are you so calm when all of us are so afraid? And she said, well, it's simple. My dad is the pilot, and I know what he's doing is going to get us back on the, uh, on the airport just fine. <laughs> My daddy is a pilot. And what Paul is saying to these people is a very similar kind of thing. The Lord is in control. He's a sovereign God. And don't have to worry about those things. So he says, don't worry about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to the Lord. Now, I believe that the Bible, even though it was not not written to us, is written for us. It was written to these people at Philippi, but the Holy Spirit has preserved Scripture, so it's just as germane and just as important to the people that are sitting here this morning in application to how we live our own life. And these applications are there. So I find that there are three biblical principles here governing this whole issue of attitude, and that is all connected to this issue of worry or anxiety. Hello, we'll unpack those for you this morning. Verse 6 and 7, we manage attitude and worry by learning to pray right. Not just pray, but to learn to pray right, because he's teaching them how to address the anxiety that obviously was in their life, and we all have that. Do not be anxious for anything, and then he goes on to describe that praying right is an important thing. Now, he uses four words here in this text to describe prayer. The first one is the general word prayer itself, which is the general approach to God. The Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord. And so prayer is just that general thing of talking literally to God like you talk to anybody else. Example in the Old Testament is Abraham. Abraham was a man like you and I, but it says he talked to God like one man talks to another. Abraham was a man who faced anxiety. You remember that Abraham was brought to the Lord out of paganism. He, he was raised by his father to worship idols, and when he came to live and believe in the living God, his life was dynamically changed. And so the Lord 
said to him one day, I'm going to take you to a land you do not know. Can you imagine when Abraham went to his wife and said, hey, we're moving? And she said, where? He said, I don't know. <laughs> I imagine that went over really well. It uh, probably didn't. And so there had to be some anxiety with Abraham. And so he had to talk to God about that, and he had to pray right about that to be able to have a confident peace to follow the Lord. The same is true of Moses. When he's on top of the mountain, there's Moses. And God is going to reveal himself to him and give him the commandments. And all of a sudden, there's an exploding, burning bush. It totally scared him out of his mind. And so Moses had to talk to God about that, and he did. And God is going to lead him along the way, and he tells him to take his staff and throw it on the ground, and it becomes a snake. I don't know about you, but I don't like snakes. Uh, last night I asked, how many like snakes? I won't ask that today because there's one little girl down here that evidently loves them. But I don't like snakes. They're hideous and all kinds of other things. And neither did Moses. And that disarmed him, I'm sure. It caused worry, and he had to talk to God about those things. And so when Paul talks to these people about anxiety that's very real in their life, um, he said there are things you need to do. And the first word that he uses is prayer. Jesus said that in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me. And that's, that's the praying part. And so he uses this word prayer. That's the general access, talking to God like you talk to anybody else, come into his presence. The second word is the word petition. Petition is a specific request, uh, making it very clear what your needs are. Now, here's the interesting part. The Bible makes it very clear that God knows what we're going to ask before we even ask it and before we even think it. So God knows everything about our life. That puzzled me for a long time. You know, why is it that you want me to ask when you already know what I'm going to ask? Why don't you just give it to me? But God wants us to ask. He wants us to come to him and seek him, to depend on him, not to depend on ourselves. And with this whole issue of anxiety and worry, then, then we're going to tend to figure it out ourselves before we ever talk to God about it. And so he wants us to come, and so he says, with petition, with your request, with a specific thing that you need. And then the quantifier here is, is thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. And thanksgiving allows us to be able to receive the answer that God is going to prepare for us. We're going to talk about that more detail a little bit later. So the quantifier is when we come and we pray right, we pray with not anxiety, but with thanksgiving, with a thankful heart. I've done some series on prayer, and the center of prayer in all of the texts of Scripture deal with praise and thanksgiving and having the right attitude before the Lord when we're grateful and thankful. So that's the third word that he uses here. And when we're thankful, it keeps us patient so that we are ready to receive God's answer for our requests. And then the final word is just a general word, request. Summarizing all that we do when we pray right. Um, so when we bring it to him, we leave it with him. But here's the problem. <laughs> and we all know this is true. So when you're stressed out about something, it gets into the old mind. And the mind is just like a gerbil cage. 
It goes around and around and around and around and around. It just keeps going. And you can't break through that. So many people have come to me, and we've had some counsel about it, and I said, here's, here's the thing to do. Uh, write down a prayer that says something like this. Lord, I can't handle this. Fill in the blank. So I give it to you. I can't handle this, or I can't handle him, or I can't handle this situation, so I give it to you. And I said, as many times as your mind takes it back after you've given it to the Lord, say this prayer, give it back. (laughs) And so you take it to him and you give it to him. You don't keep taking it back, but your mind keeps doing that. It's just the way the mind works. And so one of the things that Paul is trying to teach them here is to talk to God about it with thanksgiving and present your quests to the Lord. Now, there's some results. There are three of them that are here, actually. As you go along, verse 7, it says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The first phrase, and the peace of God. The first thing that is the result of praying right is receiving God's peace. Because he is the author of peace. He is the prince of peace. He is the master of peace in our life. Now, John recorded what Jesus said about this. John 14, 27 says this, and Jesus is speaking. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Same thing that Paul is teaching here to the Philippians. It's my peace that I give you. It's not peace that you're going to generate. It's not peace you can find by something you do. It's not peace that somebody else is going to have some kind of manipulative answer. It's not an appeal. It's in me. I give you peace. And that's the result of praying right. Coming to him, specifically talking to him like you talk to anyone else, laying it out before the Lord, giving it to him, requesting that because he already knows it. And then the first thing he gives you before he gives you the answer, and listen to this carefully, is peace. We want the answer now. I want it clear now. I don't want to wait for it. But the first thing that God gives us is peace. And the second thing then is he gives us peace that's beyond human understanding. It's not, and Jesus said, the peace that I give you is not of the world. It's not humanly reasonable. And so I will give it to you and you'll have a sense of peace. So it's God's peace and that's what we need to access and that accessibility of that comes through praying in the right way with giving it to him being thankful to him, and leaving it before him. And the third thing is the end of verse 7, which transcends all understanding and will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So this word guard is a military word, literally speaking of a guard who's on duty as a century and, and watching over whatever they are to watch. And so the Lord says when you do this, The result is it will guard your heart, your emotions, your feelings, and it will guard your mind, which is the will, 
and the volition and all of those other parts and your brain and your intellect and all of your being, it will guard you from all the negative attacks that are there. (laughs) How true. I have a pastor friend who is a great teacher of the Word, and he, he loves, he, teach, he preaches for an hour. I, I wouldn't last that long, but he, he's so good at, at teaching Scripture, he teaches for an hour. But he said the Scriptures are so important, and he said the reason it's so important is I don't trust my brain. <laughs> I've heard him say that a lot of times. I don't trust my brain. I don't trust my ability to reason things out and figure them out. I need the Word of God to guide my life. And so, similarly, here, he's teaching the importance of praying right. And that's how we manage attitude. That's how we manage worry. Now, verse 8 gives us another one. Look at the verse first. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, anything excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Dwell on these things. Managing attitude and worry is done by learning to believe and think right. Not only pray right, but to think right, to believe right, will affect how we behave right. And so this is an important part of it. He uses seven words here to describe how we overcome a negative attitude or how we overcome worry in our life. First one is, We're to think about the things that are true. Typically, we think about the things that may happen. What do they say? 80% of the things that we think might happen never happen. And we try to borrow that. Faye and I had a dear friend. She's in glory now. And she, she was in a wheelchair for a lot of her life. She had MS. And, uh, she had everything done for her. She could barely pick up the phone to answer it. Um, she had to be put to bed at night, dressed, everything. And she always had a sweet spirit. I just could never figure that out. And one day I went to her and I said, how do you do that? I said, I'm not like that so much. I said, I want to learn from you. How do you keep such a sweet spirit And I never forgot her answer. She said, I've learned never to borrow trouble. She said her mother had taught her that. I'm not going to borrow what I don't know is going to happen. I'm just going to live in the moment. And she had a sweet countenance almost every time you saw her because of that. So we need to think about the things that are true. In, in your life, in your relationship to the Lord, you are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says if any person is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, everything has become new. So I'm a new person in Christ, and therefore there isn't anything that can happen to my life that God doesn't know about. And the true thing is that he didn't lift me up to let me down. That's a good thing. Hey, that's a good thought. That might be worth the price of admission this morning. (laughs) Think about that. He didn't lift you up to let you down. So think about the things that are true. He's a faithful God. He'll be faithful to you as he is to me. And yet our mind begins to borrow trouble. Then it says, the second one here is noble things. Those things that are worthy of respect. 
those things that are noble. If you watch the news a lot, it's full of negativity. I, I talk to a lot of people that I quit watching the news. Because <laughs> the news is always bad. It's always negative. And if you concentrate on that, you're going to be negative. But we think about the things that are noble, the things that are good. In the early service this morning, a family came in with a couple of kiddos, and they were bouncing off the wall. And I love it. I mean, that's a noble thing. God has given us one of the greatest gifts, and one of those great gifts are kiddos, and they're full of energy and life. Uh, A celebrity said to me one time, He said, you know, he said, in concerts that I do, sometimes parents are worried about their kids making noise. And he said, I just say, you say, sit still. And he said, God says, wiggle. (laughs) So, I mean, there are a lot of noble things that we can think about, things that fill up our mind with positive things. Then the next one is right things, God's standard for right. God's standards for righteousness. Think about the things that are right and holy and pure. And then the next word is pure. Think about things that are pure. God's standards for moral purity. This book tells us what those are. Not not, uh, hard to understand. They're very, very clear. In fact, in Corinthians, Paul says, where it comes to immorality, run from it. Run from it. Today we have the instant social media, and it is full of traps to people's lives that trap them into all kinds of things, and they are traps because people are making money off them, and they keep people away from those things that are pure, and that impurity corrupts their thinking and produces negativity and guilt and all kinds of things. And the Bible says run from it. And then it says lovely things. This word lovely things, the Greek word is pleasing. Things that are pleasing. Think about things. They don't have to be great big spiritual things, but are things that are just pleasing and wholesome and good to let your mind dwell on those things. I found that to be helpful. You know, like a sunrise, a beautiful sunset. Some of the beautiful things are pleasing And let your mind dwell on those. And then finally, the things that are praiseworthy. Things that are excellent that are listed here. Praiseworthy things. Things that are worthy to praise the Lord for. And there are a lot. And so we need to pray right. And we're going to manage that worry and our attitude in our life to be what God wants us to be. And to grow up and be that disciple that you've been talking about these weeks. We need to think right. We think right, we need to believe right. If we believe right, we can behave right. And it's all connected together. Well, there's one more here in verse 9. I like how Paul concludes this part. Whatever you've learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, put into practice. Wow. I don't know if I've ever said that. I'm not bold enough to have say, whatever you see in my life, put it to practice. I don't know that I ever said that. But God specifically had Paul in a specific place that he could say that and do that. I mean, when he started those churches, they didn't have the New Testament to guide them. Barely did they have the Old Testament. 
And so it was important that there would be a good example. And so the final message here is to manage attitude and worry by learning to practice the things you have learned from the best examples. Paul was a great example. He may have been the greatest Christian that ever lived on the face of the earth. He was that disciplined. He was a great example. And he was not afraid to say, do what I do. I've taught you this, and now you can live it out in your life. Paul not only taught them, but he also walked the walk. Isn't it great that you have Christians in every church who walk the walk? In every church, you have some people that are struggling, who maybe aren't the best examples of followers of Christ. In fact, there are many people who have dropped out of church, and the reason they've dropped out of church is because some Christians did something or said something or they, they were not a good example for Christ, and, and so they have an excuse why they quit. Well, the good news, there are a lot of people within the church who are good examples for Christ, who are followers of him and are deeply committed to him. And those are the folks that we ought to look to as mentors. Church needs to be full of mentors. In fact, one of the purposes of the church, according to Ephesians 4, is that we grow up together in him. We grow up together in love. And God designed uh, imperfect people to come together so that we learn from each other, we grow from each other. I got a phone call one day, uh, quite a few years ago, from another pastor who said, this young man is, is moving from Omaha. Um, he went to our Awana group. You have Awana here. You understand that. And he was not raised in a, a home that ever took him to church, ever talked about God. It, they, they were not atheists. They were just agnostics. God wasn't important in their life. They're basically practical atheists. And that was the home he was grown up. It was a good home. Uh, this young man had had a lot of success in life. Um, was a great athlete and all kinds of other good things about his life. And then he, he met this young lady, and they just got married and were moving to our community. And the pastor said, why don't you give him a call? I think he's open to start coming to church. And when I talked to him, he said, I don't want to raise my family the way I was raised. He said, I want to raise my family understanding the character of God. Now, he didn't understand very much. Over the first few months, I was able to help him to understand his assurance of salvation, helped he and his wife through some conflicts and difficulties uh, along the way that came their way. It was fun to watch them grow. Now, here's the bottom line of why I'm telling you this story. He came to me one day, and he said, Pastor Kurt, he said, I don't have the foggiest idea how to be a dad. We're going to raise a family. He said, I want to raise that family, and I want to be a Christian dad, but I have no clue in how to be a Christian dad. He said, I don't even know how to be a Christian man. But he said, I have picked out somebody in the church who has a family, and they walk the walk. And I've been watching them, and I'm going to learn how to be a dad by watching them. <laughs> Let me tell you, a couple of years, they, they moved to a greater advancement in his job. He was a great salesman, and he got moved to Arizona and stayed in contact with him over the years and then back to Iowa. And God did some great things, brought a wonderful family to them. 
He raised them as a Christian dad because he had learned it from other people within the body of Christ. And so Paul said, follow my example. Learn from me. You you don't necessarily know how to learn, but this is what God has taught me, and here's how you can live. And this young man took that to heart, found it in someone else who lived the life and walked the walk. And recently I talked to him. All of his children are walking with the Lord and have come to faith in Christ because of his example because of someone else, that was an example there. So to review the things that help us to manage this whole thing of attitude, manage attitude and worry by praying right, by thinking right, and by following the examples of the best examples that we have in the body of Christ. That's God's plan. That's part of the church. Church is more than a sermon and a song. The church is a body, a family that functions together and we learn and grow from each other um, in the process that we go along. Paul walked and talked what he taught. The critical things to help us manage worry are these. Pray right. Think right. And you can behave right. (laughs) Pray right. Think right, behave right. All of that causes us to to grow up with a mind that's focused on the Lord and growing in him because attitude is the center of our discussion here today and, and maybe in some of your life groups if you're in a life group as you consider that as well. Pray right, think right, and you'll behave right. And I love the last of verse nine. Will you look at that? This is what Paul says, and the God of peace will be with you. (laughs) One of the things we need in this time is a sense of inner peace in our life. We don't know what the future's going. But we know that God is the master. He's the prince of peace. He's the giver of peace. He wants to give us his peace, and it begins with talking to him about bringing it to him on a regular basis and leaving it there and then thinking rightly. And so I leave you with this this morning. Number one, choose joy. Choose joy. It's a choice. Number two, choose prayer. That's a very important thing. Sometimes we don't think about prayer until we're hitting bottom. We need to be doing that right away. And finally, harvest peace. I'm a farm kid. I grew up on a farm. And so I like the idea of harvest. Harvest was a favorite time in our family. We loved harvest. Harvest peace. But it begins with choosing joy, choosing prayer, and then you can harvest God's peace. Let's pray. Father, we need peace in all of our lives. We can get so absorbed in all the junk we're hearing and stuff going around us that we can be so agitated and worrisome and fearful and our attitude gets down in the dumps. Lord, you you have a prescription here that we can come. The first thing we need to do is talk to you, bring it to you, pray right with thanksgiving, expecting you have the answer. You're the sovereign God still in control. And it's so awesome to trust you. Help us to think right. 
and help us to be mentored by those who are good examples for us, forgiving those who aren't, but serving you with all our hearts. So help us to choose joy and prayer and have your peace. Perhaps there's some here today or those who are watching online who are really struggling in big areas of their life. This is so important to them today. They come to you and leave it with you, recognizing the answer's coming. They've got to trust you in it. Bless this message to our hearts because it's from your book. In your name we pray.